So this morning's reading is Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. If you're following in the Red Pew Bible, it's on page 1041. Philippians 3, starting at verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait eagerly for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Amen. Well, good morning. Now, you're going to find it helpful to keep your Bibles open on those verses. Uh, we are going to hop around a little bit. The main focus is going to be verses uh, 10 to 15. Let me just open with a word of prayer. Lord, as we turn to this, your word, help us to remember that it is your word. Help us to understand the promises, to accept the challenges, and to be changed by it to your glory and for our sanctification. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Can you believe it is the last day of 2023 already? Have you made a New Year's resolution? Has anybody made a resolution? Two of us, okay. <laughs> well, it's a start. If you're going to, I just want to give you a couple of tips. Be careful what you decide to do and be careful who you share it with. I heard the story of, um, of a young boy who learnt about this at school and excitedly went home and uh, decided he was going to ask his parents what their resolutions were. Now, Dad was watching football on the telly and, and Man City were playing, so it was an understandable distraction. And uh, he said to him, Daddy, have you set a New Year's resolution? He said, uh, uh, yes, I have, son, yes. Uh, I'm going to make you and your mother as happy as possible for the whole of next year. And he went back to the football. Unfortunately for him, his wife overheard. 
So when the little boy went to his mother and said, Mommy, what's your resolution? Well, she said, son, I've just made one. And it's to remind your father every day of the resolution that he's just made. So be careful. Well, New Year is, of course, a bit of a, a special time. But in another way, all the days really are the same for us, aren't they? In Psalm 95, verses 7 to 8, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And in Hebrews 3 and 4, that kind of exhortation is repeated three times in quick succession. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Do you sense something of the urgency in Scripture here, of the importance of not delaying? So in that way, it's always today. Today is the day for action. Today is the day for change. But you know, that said, there are these special occasions, aren't there, these seasons, that, that are really helpful opportunities for us just to take stock, to think, to remember and to think about where we've been, what we've done, and what we want to do and be in the future, where we want to be then. A new year, of course, is a golden opportunity for exactly that. Now, most of us, not all, but most of us, we'll have at least a little more time off work than usual. And there will be other things that make us busy, but it is a good opportunity to just reflect and to recalibrate, to think about how things have gone, to think about where we are going. So how was 2023 for you? Did you do the things that you set out to do on New Year's Eve in December 2022? What do you hope for in the future? Well, this morning, I just want to encourage you, really, whether or not you're setting a New Year's resolution, I want to encourage you to resolve to give your life the best direction you possibly could so that you can enjoy it to the full and look forward with confidence, not just to 2024, but all the days and months and years that you may have ahead. To encourage you to live with a real purpose and a joy with the ultimate goal in mind. That's what Paul did in those verses that we just read. He knows what he wants. He's clear about it. It's in verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And he resolves to lay hold of it. Verses 13 and 14. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You notice there he says, the one thing, the one thing I do. Can I ask you this morning to consider this? What is your one thing? What's the one thing in your life? The thing or person of supreme importance. I know that for many of us here, that one thing is a person, it is Jesus Christ. And it's the same for Paul. That's why he could write earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, if we're being honest, we know we should be the same. But is that always how we feel, really? So perhaps this new year, we can take the opportunity to recalibrate and to think about how we can resolve to go forward in a way that will bear this kind of fruit. So what sort of steps can we take? Well, as I go through them, think about which ones are particularly helpful and appropriate for you. But the first one is to realize 
none of us has lived as fully as we should have, and not even as we want to, if we're being honest. Certainly every Christian say that. It's a fact. If we did, we wouldn't sin. And I know you, some of you very well, and you know me. And the reality is that we all still fall short of what God rightly commands. We all still sin. And the Apostle Paul is in exactly the same boat, verses 12 to 13. Not that I've already reached the goal. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But just think a little bit about the man who wrote this letter, Paul. It's difficult to think of anybody who has been more passionately, sacrificially committed to Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. And he had the honor of being the human author of parts of scriptures we've just read. He was used by God incredibly. He even saw Jesus face to face. He performed miracles in his name. Here is a man who gave up wealth and power, influence, position, honor, reputation, everything to follow Christ, and as we read, even considered them as dung. And not just to follow Christ from a distance, he followed Christ in one of the most difficult ministries there is. Missionary work. Dangerous and costly missionary work. In fact, he was in prison for preaching the gospel when he wrote this letter. He was flogged several times, beaten with rods three times, stoned and left for dead, bitten by a snake, run out of town, rejected by almost all his people. He lost his money and status. He was shipwrecked three, three times and abandoned by his friends. And add to that the pressures of being responsible for the churches he founded and that were looking to him. I mean, I've got to tell you, I'm an elder in one and that's quite enough. I mean, I love you all dearly, but one is enough. And Paul has got this tremendous burden on his shoulders as well. And he didn't just do it like a machine. He wasn't a stoic. He felt it. He knew what it was to have sleepless nights, to be lonely and afraid, to feel the pain of desertion by friends and even fellow ministry workers. And still he worked harder than all the others. Verse 17, imitate me in this. So if anybody could say about the Christian walk, well, you know what, actually, I'm doing pretty well. I'm going on strongly. Surely it is the Apostle Paul. But that's not what he says, is it? What he says is, I'm not there yet. I haven't lived the way I should have or the way I want to for Jesus Christ. So if you think that as well, if that's how you think, if you're not yet the Christian you want to be, if you're still fighting on, well, you're in good company. And so am I. And you know what? That is actually a mark of spiritual health and maturity. I mean, contrast that attitude with that of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, the one who thought he was doing very well, only to find he was well, well wide of the mark. You'll see exactly what I mean. So that's perhaps our first step. It's to realize that we are not yet where we should be. And if we left it there, that would all be a bit depressing. I mean, if even Paul isn't there yet, what chance have I got? What chance have you got? Why even bother trying? And let's be honest, it would be easy to be discouraged in our own lives. I've been a Christian all those years, and yet I still struggle with this thing. Insert your own thing there. I'm still not what I should be, I'm not what I want to be, and I will not be in this life. What can I do? I'm glad you asked. 
Because the second step is to resolve not to give up. It is to press on. And this is another hallmark of spiritual growth and maturity. You'll sometimes hear it referred to as the perseverance of the saints. We are compelled by the Holy Spirit within to go on. We fall, we slip, we even deliberately rebel sometimes, sadly. But we are drawn to continue. And that's exactly what Paul resolves to do as well. In verses 12 and 14, I make every effort to take hold of it, reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize. He wants a fuller devotion to Christ. He wants more love for him, more usefulness in his work, and he's determined to get it. Do you think Paul's life had purpose? Absolutely. And it was the most noble purpose of all, to know and glorify and serve God in the name of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his desire only deepens as he goes on, which, by the way, is something that God promises to all of us who will search for him. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So Paul doesn't back off. He acknowledges he's not where he wants to be or should be, but he presses on. He still doesn't get it right all the times. I know I've referred previously to Romans chapter 7 and 8. They are wonderful, encouraging chapters. Here we have an apostle detailing the inner battles he's facing as an apostle. But still he determines to press on. I wonder if this could be a New Year's resolution for some here. Some who maybe need to get back in the fight, back on the path to glory and purpose. But maybe you think, I'd like to, but I'm just too weak, or too tired, or too compromised even. Well, the third step is to realize, to understand, we do not have the strength to do this ourselves. None of us do, even if some think they have. It is not a case of just resolving to try harder in our own strength. Those who are here and have a good memory might recall that uh, last time I preached, we looked at John 23 and how we can have that strength for the whole Christian journey. Because if we just go on in our own strength, we will be exhausted and probably very bitter or legalistic. And we will certainly never realize the kind of joyful life that we are created to have in Christ. And the reason for that is quite simple. It costs to follow him. Paul mentions that here. He talks about having fellowship with Christ in verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. We like the prospect of heaven, the power and the resurrection, and the experience even now of fellowship with Christ and, and even with each other, with his people. But fellowship in his sufferings? We often say this, and again it bears repeating, the authentic Christian life is not a life of unmitigated success, of health and wealth and prosperity and power. It is a path marked with battles and with costs. I'm just being honest with you. But it is also a path marked with eternal life and joy and purpose and assurance and comfort and hope and so much more besides as well. And in that sermon on John, we looked at the vital importance of remembering who we already are in Christ. We don't strive to become what we already are. 
We looked at what the future holds for us and to drink at the oasis of these truths. And it is that Holy Spirit-inspired joy that gives us the strength to go on and to want to do so. We need self-discipline. It is vital, but it is not enough. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And that's what Paul says effectively here as well in verse 12. I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul didn't get where he was in his Christian walk by self-effort, courage, self-determination, improvement alone. It was a work of the grace of God, just as it is for you and for me. So can I ask you this morning, do you know anything of this passion for living a Christ-exalting and fulfilling life? Is your hunger for Christ what it should be? Maybe that's a place to start for some of us. You might have heard the old cliche about being tired in your Christian walk, but never being tired of it. But what do we do when that's not entirely true? What do we do when we are just tired, when we know that's really not the case? Well, the Bible tells us again, Psalm 37, 4 to 5. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. The more we delight in the Lord, the more we know him, the more we will desire him, the more we will want to go on. Remember what it was like when you first became a Christian, perhaps. I mean, you might still be doing a lot of good things right now. But do you remember how you used to do them and why? Have you perhaps forgotten in the busyness of life? Have you fallen out of love with the Lord in some way? It can happen. It happened to the church in Ephesus in Revelation. They were doing a lot of really, really good things. Their theology was sound. But in chapter 2 and verses 4 to 5, this is Jesus' message to them. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So if today finds you with no real passion or joy in your Christian walk, remember how it used to be. Delight yourself in the Lord, and you will find the desire to go on afresh. The next step is to determine not to let the past hamstring your future. This is probably the biggest point for many of us to address. Do not let the past spoil your future, Christ-exalting, fulfilled life. Look at how Paul handles the past in verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I want to share a quote from Colin Smith. His own sermon on these verses is, is outstanding, and it was a big help to me in preparation. And he said this, The easiest way for you to waste your life is to get hung up on stuff that happened in the past. And I think he's right. And I think he's right when he also goes on to say, this is one of the easiest things to fall into as well. It could be something you said or did or thought or perhaps something that somebody did to you. And even now, perhaps years and years and years later, it still has its hook in you. You find yourself gravitating back to it again and again and again. It stifles your joy, your comfort, your growth, your progress. You feel chained by what happened. So you just revisit it over and over, and it paralyzes you. You say, I'd like to move on, but you don't know what happened. How can I let it go? 
It's a choice. You and I can choose to do this. We confess and repent if it's something we did, and whatever it is, whether it's something we did or something that others did to us, we commit it to Christ, all of it, and we stop letting it determine and dominate our life in an unhealthy way. That's what Paul does. You know, before he was called Paul, as many of us know, his name was Saul. And Saul, by his own admission, was a nasty piece of work. Amongst many other things, he persecuted, imprisoned, and voted to kill Christians. He approved of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. He went out of his way to kill the newborn church. So when he writes, forget what is behind, he knows how hard this can be. But he also knows the vital importance of doing so and the grace of God that makes it possible. And he doesn't mean pretend it never happened or blot it out of your memory. What he means is, in Christ it's all paid for. I will not allow these things, these sins, to stop me from growing in Christ. Whatever I did, his blood has paid the price in full for all my sins. The cross is punishment enough. It is sufficient. And whatever has been done to me, or will be done to me, I'm never alone. And God can and will work good even through that thing. Even if it was something thoroughly evil and rotten. So Paul says, I'm free, and I will go on. The past will not define me. Christ will define me. He draws a line under it, and he determines to go on. And you and I must do exactly the same thing. Or we will waste not just another year, we will waste our lives wishing we could change something that cannot be changed and living in a place we cannot really live, the past. Some Christians are held in chains for years and years and years by things that have happened in the past. We can choose to stop doing that right now. How? We memorize and we grasp the truth of Scripture that tells us that God can use our biggest pains and our failures still for his glory, for our good and for the good of others. Here's one such scripture. It's Joel chapter 2, verses 25 to 26. I will repay you for the years the swarming locust ate. The young locust, the destroying locust, and the devouring locust, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Or how about Romans 8, 28? One that I'm sure is familiar to many of us already. We know all things work together for good of those who love God. Even our sins. It doesn't make them unimportant or inconsequential. But God will use even the most foul sinner's experiences for good if that person will turn to him in repentance and confession. I know I often lean on the example of John Newton. It's just such a great example, isn't it? A slave trader and more. He became a Christian. He hated what he'd once been and what he'd done. He didn't forget it in that sense, but he did not allow it to chain him. It spurred him on to serve with as much vigor and love as he could. He became a preacher, an abolitionist, a pastor, a hymn writer. And knowing what he had been, how much he'd been loved and forgiven, that was his spur to love and worship and serve Christ more. And I'm sure, like me, you'll have heard or read many biographies or testimonies about former drug dealers, gang members, people like that who turn to Christ and then have fruitful ministries 
of helping others in the same situation. So perhaps today, if you're one sat here and you have those years that the locust has eaten, whatever cause, you know, maybe it was just even painful years, your health stopped you from doing what you wanted to, or you lost somebody, or a relationship failed, and it's just been so hard to move on. Or perhaps you've just been selfish and rebellious. You've made a profession of faith years ago, maybe, but if you're being honest, your primary concern has always been you. It's always been about your comfort, your happiness, your career, doing things your way. Whatever it is that has that grip on you, it is not too late to change, unless you believe the lie of Satan that will tell you it is. Your most painful memory, your most catastrophic defeat does not need to define you. And God can and will use even that thing to his glory and to help others, if you're willing, as Paul was. You know, perhaps for some people here, making that resolution alone would be the most powerful and liberating thing they can do as we start this new year with all its opportunities and hopes. A resolution to bring whatever it is to the feet of Jesus, to leave it there, and to determine to press on. The next step is to develop a right perspective, to remember the ultimate prize, and that will give us the energy to press on with vigor. It's in verses 14 and 15. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think in this way. You see, if we have the right perspective, if we know the truth of what lies ahead for us, we'll have an awful lot more energy to go on. In verse 13, he says he's reaching forward. Now, if you look at the root of that word reaching, it's a very dynamic word. It means straining. It means stretching oneself forward towards something. It's a really strong, dynamic action word. It captures that kind of desire and energy and effort. So Paul isn't just kind of reluctantly pressing on or doing it just out of a sense of duty. He's not doing the minimum to get by. And he certainly isn't saying, I'm just going to let go and let God. It is a far more dynamic, engaged, proactive approach. So he forgets the past and he reaches forward. He strains forward to what lies ahead to his goal. Can I ask you another question this morning? Do you really know what lies ahead for you? What your ultimate destiny is? Because if as Christians we grasp the reality of who we are in Christ and of what's in store for us, we will have an awful lot more energy and a lot more joy as we make our way through the inevitable battles and challenges of life in this fallen world. There's a famous consultant called Stephen Covey, and he wrote a best-selling book some years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, consider this a means of common grace. And one of the habits is this. You start with the end in mind. You start with the end in mind. So you think about where you want to be and why. You think about being in that position, what it will look like, what it will feel like, what will have changed. And then you plan how to get there. And you keep that as your focus throughout the journey. And that's what Paul is doing here. It's exactly that. And he isn't, he isn't hanging around either. He isn't coasting. He's reaching ahead again. He's striving for it. 
How many of us have discovered that life passes increasingly quickly? The years fly by. The time to act is now. When we come to New Year's Eve next year, when we look back, what's our end goal? What do we want to be? How do we want to have changed? What do we want to be able to think? What should we be feeling? When we settle that and act accordingly, we pursue it. So we can start with that goal in mind. If the chains of the past are the most common reasons Christians don't always press on as they should, a failure to understand and use time properly is probably number two. And it can go something like this. I'm really too young to serve properly in the ministry. I'll wait a while. Now my exams are coming up. I'll get those out of the way. I'm starting a new job and the learning curve is very steep. I've just met somebody and we're going to get married. Here come the children. It's a 24-7 job being a parent, don't you know? Oh, I'm in line for promotion now. I'll get that and then I'll really set to committing for Christ and living for him. And before you know it, I mean, even if you get to the average age of, of whatever it is now, 70 or perhaps, you get to a point in life when it dawns on you that the years behind you are much more than the years that lie ahead. And you've not yet really made a proper start. There are times in life when we have right responsibilities that demand more from us, commitment, time, and so forth. Maybe looking after a sick family member, for instance. But there's always that temptation to keep delaying that heartfelt, proper commitment to Christ. It's a powerful temptation sometimes. If that's something you're in danger of, let me just urge you, don't even wait for the new year. Start today. Make your resolution today. Don't let more time slip by. It will never be convenient. Soon, like Paul, we will be called upwards in Christ. Let's resolve to live in the imminence and the reality of that truth. Now, with that perspective, with that kind of urgency. Remember Philippians 1.21 from earlier when we saw that Paul wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I asked you, what is your one thing? The one thing or person that is your supreme reason for living. Paul's one thing was Christ. Definitively it was Christ. That's why he could write to live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to know if you have the right perspective? Then you can ask yourself this question. The right focus. Do we really see it as gain to die, like Paul did. Because if our one thing is anything or anyone other than Christ, then to die is not gain at all. It's all loss. If our consuming primary passion is sport or career or wealth or body or music or family or anything else other than Christ, then to die is to lose it all. Once we breathe our last, it's gone. And there's no way back. But if we live for Christ, then to die is gain. Because death is not the end for us. It is the beginning of a new life in the presence of the one who means the most for us. So for the Christian to die is gain. And for the Christian alone. Because when we die, we get more of the one who is our all-consuming passion. That's why Paul can write these words honestly. But if we live for anything else in this world, as that consuming passion, as the number one, not only is death going to be all loss, 
But whatever years we may have left will become darker and darker and darker as they go by. And here's why. With every passing year, with every passing moment, actually, as you start to think about it, you'll realize that you've got less and less and less time to enjoy the thing or person that you most value and that one day it will be gone forever. So the years will get darker, and especially that personal thing changes anyway. Your children will leave home. The dream home will one day be leveled. Your sporting and mental prowess will start to decline. But if we live for Christ, our future will shine. It will get better and better because the best is yet to come. And as time goes by, that prize, that upward calling of God in Christ gets closer. If we have Christ, we have all we need and so much more. This is the way to a life of hope and purpose with a future. To die is gain if we live for Christ. And only if Christ is our number one. Well, for the last part of this message, really, I wanted us to look at how we can do that specifically. What does it look like if we act on these resolutions? And again, some of these will be applicable to you, and some will be more helpful than others. How are we going to apply these things so that this time next year, when we look back, we'll have made the changes that we want to, and we can thank God for a year well lived? I'm going to give you some quick ideas. And again, think about which ones apply to you. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not in any particular order, and you will be doing some of these things already. The idea here is it just stimulates your thinking to help you to decide how to commit uh, looking forward. The first thing is to resolve to be obedient. Resolve to be obedient. Keith Green, the songwriter, put it very well when he wrote, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. Or as Psalm 51 puts it, you do not want to sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Listen, if you want to realize the benefits and the joy of a close walk with God, of a fruitful life with purpose, you cannot do that from a distance on your own terms. I know some of us like to be our own bosses. We like to sit in judgment on everything that affects us, to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, what we will do and what we won't do. The Christian must bow the knee to Christ and follow him always and willingly. And if there's a difference between what we think and feel and want, even what the culture around us says and what the word of God so clearly teaches, we obey. That is our primary calling here. Have you been baptized? It's a clear command. Do you make every effort to get to church? Will you take a stand for truth if you're pressed on issues of sexuality or gender or whatever the hot topic of the day might happen to be in the future? Whatever we face, whatever we think or feel, we must resolve to do not what is easy, but what is right, to obey. The second thing, is to resolve to commit to this fellowship or to your own local church if you're a visitor or you're watching from a distance online. It's to resolve to do something, especially if you're a member. And if you're not a member, maybe that's something to think about. We are not blessed by God with different skills and abilities so that we can just use them for our own benefit and satisfaction and happiness. 
We are a church family, and like it or not, we need each other. And here's the thing as well. You'll never bear much fruit, nor be much use in advancing the kingdom of God, if you refuse to serve. If you're a Christian, you are gifted and you are equipped to serve. And actually, you are required to do so. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes that abundantly clear. And if you need help working out what that looks like, we will work with you for that. We will not shoehorn you into a ministry that is desperate for people. We'll discern together God's calling his gifts on your life and help you to realize the fruit of that. We don't just want to make converts here. We want to build disciples people who are passionate for Jesus Christ and who enjoy a passionate life in Jesus Christ. So resolve to commit. Imagine what that will do for this church and our wider ministries if we all do that a little more, perhaps. The third thing is to resolve to evangelize. We do have different gifts and characters and temperaments, but we are all called to prepare to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. It's in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I'm sure we all know people who are unsaved. Can you explain the gospel to them? If they ask you why you are different, why you trust in Christ, why you follow him, can you articulate that? We should never use the, you know, I don't know enough about theology or apologetics line to, to kind of do this. We've got so many ministries here at TCN that we are blessed with. We've got our services, our men's and women's ministries, our young adults' ministries, house groups, answers ministries, that looks at precisely these things and questions and issues that we face. They'll prepare us. They'll equip us. They will give us the tools that we need. But we have to use them to move on. By the way, if you want to know more about any of these things, do speak to me later or touch base in the ConnectCon. If you're watching online, there's a contact form on the website. And the other thing you'll find about evangelizing as well is it will encourage you in your own faith also. It will force you to go deeper, to reason more. The next step, number four, is to resolve to make time for what matters the most. I said at the start, you know, time goes by so quickly. We sang about it earlier, and that's based on a scripture. It's James 4.14. We are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I know many of us are busy. We are genuinely busy. But I think if we're being honest, we'd say that we've lost, we've lost the art of enjoying real silence and peace. Deep meditation doesn't come naturally to us. That prolonged focus we struggle with. How many of our devotions are rushed? How much time do we spend on our sports and hobbies on the one hand and praying, Bible reading, or meeting together on the other. The principle here is quite simple. We reap what we sow. If we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. If we sow generously, we will reap generously. You know, on that day when we stand before Christ and give an account, I'm sure that a lot of the things that seem so important to us now, that we spend so much of our time on, they're going to look very small. And Jesus is going to be very big. Let's be ready for that day. Let's make time for what matters most. And if you're just starting to think about that, perhaps a good place to start is with Sundays. Make it special. Come to any services that you can make, especially communion services. Take time to enjoy fellowship after the service. Make time for personal study. 
have a discussion about the Bible over lunch. That's a way to start, really. But resolve to make time for what matters the most every day. Fifthly, is to resolve to cultivate a balanced spiritual life. Some of us like to focus on growing in knowledge. We study, we read, we learn, and that's all well and good and important uh, that we do so. We should be doing that. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us to grow in knowledge. So that's very good as well. But we must remember as well that Christ came to redeem the whole man and the whole woman. So we must not neglect the heart as well. You know, sometimes it is helpful to read less, more. To feast on a particular verse or passage, to memorize it, study it, meditate on it, to really get to grips with it, to let it not just illuminate our minds, wonderful though that is, but to transform our very heart as well, to lead us to spontaneous praise and worship and service. You see, chapter 1 in 2 Peter also tells us to grow in faith and virtue and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. It is not just the head, vital though that is, it is all our being. He redeems all of us. Some of us like to listen to music. Others throw themselves into particular ministry. And again, these are all really good and helpful things. We just need to ensure we get the balance right. That we love the Lord, our wonderful God, with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. With all that we are. Are your devotions balanced? Do you make time to study? To pray properly? To praise? Are your prayers all about you and your family, your immediate needs? Perhaps we can widen those a little bit. So think about that balanced spiritual diet for the whole being. Six is to resolve to live intentionally in the light of eternity. Remember the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus and make change happen. Like many, I was very saddened to hear of one of our members' sudden death on Christmas Day. And we'll pray for Alan and his friends and family at this difficult time for them. Not one of us knows when Jesus Christ will return. Not one of us knows when we will breathe our last. But whatever happens, the race will soon be over and the things of this world that are so engaging and so appealing right now are going to be dust. Let's be found, whether we've got a short time ahead or a relatively long time, investing in what really matters. You see, if we don't make a decision to actually do that, to proactively do that, We'll just drift. We'll drift in the circumstances and pressures that we face, the emotions or feelings we have at any time. We have to be proactive about it. Let's not keep waiting for this imagined time where we've got everything in life sorted and squared away and then it'll be time to focus on God. That's foolish in all kinds of levels and it will never happen. We'll waste our lives if we do that. Well, finally and very briefly, and this one is for non-believers, Verses 18 and 19 are a warning to you. If you want the blessings of God, if you want heaven instead of hell, if you want a life of purpose and hope, if you want to be free from any fear of death and from guilt and shame and sin, you know, in short, if you want eternal life even here and now, don't even wait for tomorrow, which you may not see. Turn to Christ now as your Lord and Savior and accept him as both and start living. And make 2024 the best year of your life so far. A time that you can look back on. It's not just when you turn from darkness to life. But when you look back, you can see that you started to live life fully as you were created to do. 
There's so much more in these verses. But I think I've given you enough to chew over there, and certainly for me as well. I hope it's an encouragement. We've looked at why we're resolved to go on, what it looks like. But you know, if we don't actually commit, they're just words. It's a mindset kind of thing, really. If we don't really need to change or see the need to change, if we can't or we're determined not to, if we think that, we won't. I really hope you all enjoy a very blessed 2024 through its joys and delights and its challenges and pains as well. Jesus Christ came that we should have life and have it abundantly. It's a new year, a new opportunity for a new me and a new you. Let's resolve to press on. My old preacher used to say, one life only and it will soon be passed. What's done for Christ is all that will last. Let's live with that in mind and enjoy the blessings he gives us in the meantime also properly. Amen? The music group come up, please, Mark. Thank you.